0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Today is Mother's Day. Amen. And uh, can we give it up for some moms? Yeah? Amen. Amen. So uh, if there was ever a day that is worth having a day, Let me try that again. If there was ever a segment of the population that is worthy of having its day, it is Mother's Day. So moms, we thank you guys so much for your gospel testimony of sacrifice and care and love that you give to all of us. It is huge. Um, That being said, I'd I'd also uh, like to just acknowledge for a moment that for many people, Mother's Day is really, really hard for lots of different reasons. Some of you may have lost moms in the last year. Um, Some of you may have grown up without moms. Um, Some of you may have wanted desperately to be a mom and uh, God has not uh, granted that wish yet to you, at least at this point. Um, It can just be a really complicated time. Some of you may have grown up with bad moms or abusive moms or whatever the case may be. And and, and some of you may even just have guilt feeling like you were the bad mom. You did do poorly or you're a mom and your kid has walked away, whatever the case may be. Um, We just want to acknowledge that you're in the room, no matter what and and just encourage you um to say that 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 we understand your heart i mean i do and and my family especially my my wife and I we were unable to have children for seven and a half years after we got married, and did not think we would ever be able to have children before um the Lord just did a work, and so we've always been really sympathetic and and even historically um we've we've not i guess until probably this year. Given things away to moms as they've come in on Mother's Day, as some churches do. Um, we didn't do that because a church I was a part of in the past did that, and I, their heart wasn't to shame anyone or any of that stuff, but at the door they had people, um, had guys giving out flowers as the moms would come in, and so they would be there at the door going, are you a mother, are you a mother, are you a mother, which is awesome for mothers and terrible for those that desperately want to be mothers or whatever the case may be and so we've never done that here historically so this year we just decided we'll just give candy to everybody on the on the ladies' side amen ladies so if you didn't get one when you came in that's for you as well Um, not mom or not that's for you so uh, I I hope you guys understand and trust our heart in that Um, and it's appropriate today That today is Mother's Day, including how we're starting today's series. So let me open us up in a quick word of prayer, and then we'll start talking about that. Father, we just ask that you would be with us this morning, that your spirit would be in this place, that you would speak through me into the heart um, of your people, that you would edify and equip your church, that, Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our king, and our redeemer. We thank you for this morning, Morning, in Jesus' name, amen. That was like half morning, half morming, almost Mormon. I don't know what that was, but anyway, morning. Okay, uh, so today's Mother's Day, and today we are starting our new series here at Heritage. Now, as you know, typically what we do is we work verse by verse through a specific book of the Bible, Fret not, that is still coming again. Um, As you guys know, we are planning a church in Grants Pass. It'll launch this fall. Pastor Sam, who just led you in worship, is going to be the lead pastor at that church. And and Sam and I were talking about, uh, as a way of continuing relationship between the two churches, teaching through the same book of the Bible together. The same kind of calendar, same teachings each week. That way we could even you know, pulpit swap, or all those kinds of things, study together, and it would just maintain like two churches in separate locations, but one church traveling the same path together. And so we've landed on the book of Acts for that. Um, for on on the, the end of Philippi and Grant's Pass, it's, it's a great place to start because it covers the work of the church as they're starting out a new church. And, and for us in general, it's a good book to stay in because the book of Acts is the continuation of the story of Luke. So our plan is to work together with Philippi and work our way through the book of Acts for about six months. Um, but we can't start that till September because right now there's still no actual Philippi, if you will. So we had to come up with, like, what are we going to do between now and September? So we've landed on this. What we're going to do is this series called Mythbusters, where we're, each week we're going to take a different common misconception that's in the Bible. something or, or not just necessarily in the Bible. It could be a misconception someone has about God. Uh, It could be a misconception about the Bible, about Christianity, um, something that's in the Bible that's taken out of context, something that's believed to be in the Bible that's not really in the Bible, um, or even what it looks like to be in the church. Things that both people in the church or sometimes out of the church might have, understandings, beliefs, misconceptions about Christianity that aren't necessarily true. Now, Don't think that we're now not going to be in the Bible through the summer as we do that. That is not going to be the case at all. Today we're going to cover almost the entire book of Ephesians. So we're going to be in the scriptures each time because the idea is is that we want to understand what the misconceptions are, the myths, if you will, but we want to, even more importantly, know what the truth actually is. And the Bible is God's true word, is our standard for truth. So we'll be basing this series here. Um, But they're important. These are really important. It's a great opportunity, by the way, to bring those that are struggling with Christianity, to bring your own doubts. Um, There's still a little bit of wrestling with some of the schedule throughout some of the summer. So even if you have one where you're like, hey, I hear this, or I'm wrestling with this, or I don't know if I believe this, feel free to email us at the church. We would love to consider even some of those. We want to make sure that that this series is as helpful and fruitful for everyone as they can be. But that being said, it also means, please prepare yourselves though, It, it also means sometimes you might get your toes stepped on. Because oftentimes these are things that we hold to and understand because we want to believe them, And they might not be exactly true. But each week, what we want to do is see what the actual truth of God's Word says and understand why the truth is better than the lie. Amen? So that's going to be our goal each week. I believe these are really important things because a lot of these are things that either people would say and declare that aren't necessarily true, or sometimes, as is today, sometimes these are things that we would probably never actually say, but we would live as if it's true. And so that brings us to today's first topic. And the topic is this, a great home or a perfect home produces perfect kids. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Mother's Day in general, first of all. Let's, let's first acknowledge that the job of moms is really challenging and really difficult. Parenting as a whole, motherhood specifically. And so some things I thought that would give us a little chuckle that kind of brings some of that to light that I think most of us will be able to agree on, especially the moms in the room. I don't know if you guys like these. I am a nut for internet memes. Moms, it's not memes, it's memes. Internet memes... Right? So memes are just little funny pictures with some sort of text on there that you kind of laugh at. And so I've found some about motherhood that I thought we might look at that might illustrate why motherhood is often so, so challenging. So let's take a look at a few. There should be an energy drink named 6 a.m. toddler. Amen, moms? That would get you through the day. What else we got? In a Mary Poppins voice, okay, children, time to go to bed. Fifteen minutes later in Batman voice, I said get in the bed. Anyone ever done that? Amen? How about this one? Motherhood. Did you ever think grocery shopping alone would be the highlight of your day? <laughs> Amen, moms? <laughs> How many of you are loving the fact that there's like coffee shops and stuff in grocery stores now? You can drag that out. <laughs> All right, look at this one. First child eats dirt. Call the doctor. Second child eats dirt. Come here, let's wash your mouth out. Third child, I wonder if I need to feed him lunch now. <laughs> uh, and then finally, now these, these are parenting books that need to be written. If there were books about this, we would understand things in advance. It would be a whole lot easier going in. We wouldn't have to learn some of these things the hard way. Okay. So book number one, Juice Pouches, The Do's and Don'ts of Straw Punctures. Book number two, Bribery. Yes, sadly, you will. Number three, the 30-minute car seat workout. That's good. (laughs) Number four, gross. Adjusting your definition. (laughs) Number five, naked and unafraid. A toddler's view on unity. And my personal favorite, number six, why is this wet? It's probably not water. (laughs) There's some truth to some of those. Amen, ladies? There is some truth to those things. Well, today we're going to talk about the reality of parenting, in particular this myth or misunderstanding that perfect homes or perfect parents produce perfect kids, or even perfect godly homes produce godly kids. Now, I don't think that that's something most of us would say out loud. I don't think most of us, if we were giving parenting advice, would go to people and say, well listen, you know, if your home is perfect, and if you're a perfect parent, your kids will be fine, so good luck with that. I, don't think, I think most of us would actually say the exact opposite. I think most of us would say, there are no perfect parents, there are no perfect people, and there are no perfect children, and there is no perfect home. But I think we live sometimes like that's the truth. I think sometimes we might live in such a way and adopt the pressures in such a way as if it were a guarantee that we need to be as perfect as possible, our home needs to be as perfect as possible, we portray ourselves as perfect as possible, and in doing so, we guarantee that the output of all of that effort, all of that energy, all that time, money, emotion, all of that thing will be perfect children. And as a result, people carry blame, grief, They're exhausted and wiped out. So what we want to do each time as we're going through this series, we want to try to figure out what are the origins of some of these myths? What does the Bible really say? And then why is the truth and why is the gospel better news for us than that thing that we've been holding on to or that thing that we've heard? So what are the origins of this, for goodness sakes? Where would we get some idea, whether we claim it or not, that we would live out some philosophy that says the more perfect we are, The better our kids are going to be on the back end of that. I think part of it is ideological, or excuse me, theological. Part of it is theological. There's a verse, we're going to break it down more in just a minute, but there's a verse in the Bible, Proverbs 22, verse 6, that says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, some of you already know it, he what? he will not depart. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart. And so some people will take maybe a verse like that and they will say, okay, then what I do affects what happens with that kid guaranteed. So if I train this child up perfectly and do everything right, it guarantees that this child won't ever go sideways and that nothing bad's going to happen to him ever down the road. Um, Some people cling to this myth or, or live out this myth, um, just simply because we just want better for our children. I mean, we, we want our kids to do better than us, to have better than us, to, to be better than us, don't we? I mean, just me, just a, a few of us, right? We want that, right? That's okay. That's okay. I remember, I remember the first time that I saw one of my little girls deceptively and intentionally sin like the first time. I mean beyond the cranky selfishness that all kids have and all toddlers have and all that. I mean like calculated, you know what I mean? And when that happened, it broke my heart when I saw that for a couple of reasons. One, is is it almost felt like though I know uh, I know the the theology behind it I know that we 're born in sin, I know that that she you know as david said we're we 're born sinners we're we're conceived in in sin and iniquity, we have sin nature, I know all that stuff but but there was this sense in which you 're seeing something calculated for the first time, and it felt like a loss of innocence but but more than that, the thought that hit me when that happened to my daughter is I was hurt for her. Because it hit me all of a sudden like, man, she's going to struggle with sin for the rest of her life just like I do. And I didn't want that for her. Like, I didn't want her to go through the pain. I didn't want her to have to go through the discipline. I didn't want her to go through that struggle. I wanted her to be in this much safer and much better place. And so I found this temptation even then, and we can find it from time to time, that says, okay, therefore, I need to do better. I need to teach better. If I'd have taught her better, that wouldn't have happened. If I'd have watched her better, that wouldn't have happened. If I'd have removed the temptation, if I'd have protected her better, put her in some sort of Christian bubble, if you will, that won't happen. That's accepting all sorts of pressure. Um, Some of us live this because we're wounded from our upbringing. There are a lot of people who have been through brokenness when they were young. Some of you in this room have been through difficult upbringings painful upbringings, uh, failed parents, all sorts of situations like that, and coming out of that, you're still bearing the scars, you're still carrying that with you, and so now you're looking at the children you have, and you are, and, and, and in a good way, I'm glad, but you're saying, this will never happen for my child. And so suddenly you put all this pressure upon yourself, whether you mean to or not, to be the functional savior for your child, that says, I will protect them, I will provide for them, I will redeem my past through the life of my child. And so you throw everything into being the opposite of what it was that hurt you when you were young. It's kind of a natural human reaction, it happens all the time. And and then another reason that we live this way or feel this way, let's just be honest, is Pinterest and Instagram. Right? (laughs) Right? I mean, come on, some of the stuff that you see people post out there of their home and their kitchen and all these kind of things, you're like, no one cooks in that kitchen, no one. There has never been a meal cooked in that kitchen ever, ever. And they have little kids, where's the stains? You know, things like that, there's just this portrayal of perfection and you see like families with like always with the perfect poses and the matching clothes for their kids and all this kind of stuff and it projects this perfection. And then when you see just that, you don't see behind the scenes. You don't see behind the scenes the photo when mom's like, I said stand still and smile. You don't see any of that. You just see the perfection, right? And you're in the chaos yourself. And so you can start to feel guilty and start to feel like, man, I'm not doing as good a job as she is. I don't have it together like they do. And you adopt guilt. And then shame and then expectations of performance on your own family, on your own children, all of these sorts of things. And by the way, none of this stuff is exclusive to mothers. Amen? Guys, posting photos of your boys playing basketball and stuff and living your lives out through your kid on the sports field. Amen? Like all of this happens for all of us. No one's perfect. We know this. No one's perfect, but yet we would absolutely sometimes live this way. Now, here's what we want to do. Each week, we want to go to the scriptures, our standard of truth, and find out, so what does the Bible say? Regardless of what someone's teaching or how we live, what does the Bible actually teach us to do? In fact, This being one of our standards of, uh, this being our actual standard of truth, one of the weeks in our series, we're going to spend a week looking at is the Bible actually reliable? That whole myth that, like, well, it was just handed down from person to person to person to person. The Bible we have now, who knows if that's actually what they said. We're going to tackle that one week. Probably would have been better to start the series on that since this is our standard of truth, but it's Mother's Day, so we'll get to it eventually. But we want to come back to the Scriptures. And what do the Scriptures say? Well, let's let's consider a few of these things we've just talked about. First of all, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Let's look at that in its context. Because one of the things that we're going to look at are sometimes there's a Bible verse or a thought that's been divorced from its context and it's just thrown out there like that's the truth when actually the context around it defines its meaning. So let's take a look at this. Let's look at verse 5 and 6, just one verse ahead of it. And what does it say? Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Notice it says, whoever guards his soul, that's your personal soul, will keep far from them. Then it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what's being said here? Because it seems a little contradictory. On one end, it seems like if you teach a kid right... They will not mess up later. But then in the verse right before it, it says, hey, there's snares in front of everyone, and it's the person who deals with and watches their own soul. Not basing your success on what mom and dad did, but about having responsibility for yourself as you deal with these things. You go, wait, Jeff, that doesn't make sense. Does that mean the Bible is wrong? Is Proverbs 22, 6 a lie? No, no, no. It's a proverb. It's not a a hard, fast, rule, guaranteed law of life that guarantees this is the input, this is the output. The Bible makes it really clear that people are always responsible for the state of their own decisions and their own soul. It is not dependent upon the parent before. But the influence of the parent on the child is massive. Massive, massive, massive. In fact, check this out. Of everyone who is a Christian adult today, of all Christian adults alive today, walking with Jesus today, over 85% of them got saved between the ages of 4 and 14. 85% of Christian adults today got saved because someone trained up a child in the way he should go And now that they are older, they are not departing from that. It's not about individual sins. It's about knowing Jesus and walking with them and about telling us that the investment in our children spiritually is important and pays massive dividends down the road. It's not a failure. And it doesn't mean if you didn't do so, that person is doomed to failure and doomed to be apart from God down the road either. Amen? So it's a proverb, it's not a 100% truth, but it's something that we can bank on, not a guarantee, but something we can look at and go, this is what I need to invest in. In fact, the only guarantee, really, that we have in parents is that if two sinners get married, have a baby, they will absolutely, without question, guaranteed produce a sinner. That's a guarantee. Everybody say amen. That's a guarantee. And as far as the idea of like, but but we got to be careful because we have to do everything perfect or we're going to end up ruining our kids and the environment matters and the decisions of our parents. We have to have all this pressure. we got to do it right, got to do it right, got to do it right. Well, let's just consider the Bible for just a second. Let's think about some of the parenting examples that we have in the Scripture. Let's start with the first ones, Adam and Eve. They were in perfection. They did not have sinful natures, they didn't have any, and they were in absolute perfection. And what happened? They blew it, and then what happens with their kids? One kid murders another one. Now listen, that's not stealing someone's money, that's not, hey, he hit me, that's not Charlie bit my finger, that's not none of that kind of stuff, that's murder in the first parenting example, or the first institution of parents in the history of humanity, murder. Does that happen to anyone else in this room? I, I hope not, but if, I think you're, you're not as bad as that probably, right? That's what happens with Adam and Eve. You go, well, but you know, they blew it right there and the thing, everything was kind of a mess and they didn't really know what they were doing yet and there was a snake running around and all that, so that's probably why it happened. Okay, let's just continue. How about Noah? You guys know Noah? Now no, Noah crushed it, man. Noah was faithful, even in an unbelieving world. He faithfully homeschooled his kids in the boat. And then when the waters recede and the boat hits shore and they come out, think about it. There's no sinful world or, or context or culture. There's no broken, wicked culture out there to affect his kids. It's a fresh start. Hey, surely he nailed it. Well... One son, Shem, goes on to produce the the family of the Canaanites, or Ham. I got it mixed up. Anyway, the Canaanites come through him. I don't know if you read the Bible very much. Canaanites, if you're following the family of Israel and you're pro Israel, which the Bible seems to be at least following that story, Canaanites, always the bad guys. Always the bad guys. Always a nightmare. And then this other son comes through and he produces Abraham. And you go, oh, well, Abraham, there we go. The father of our faith, the chosen one. Abraham's a great example. No, read your Bibles. Abraham so impatient to have a child, his wife, so impatient to have a child that they come up with a genius plan. Abraham, why don't you sleep with the maid and have a kid there? That'll fix everything. And then when it turns out, then they have their kid and there's wars and rivalries between the siblings. What does he do? He ends up having to tell the mom and his son hit the road and they leave. That's the example of who we call, by the way, Father Abraham. Anybody done that? Well, how does that play out? Well, Isaac comes along. Isaac is the son of Abraham, so the very next family. Isaac comes, and Isaac and his wife Rebecca surely have learned from the examples of the parents before. They're not going to have any problems, right? No. Isaac and Rebecca, they have these terrible examples of favoritism with each child and it culminates in deception and lying and trying to steal things from the other brother and the result is Jacob ends up their son Jacob ends up having to run and run from his life because the other boy Esau is trying to kill him and so he has to leave the family completely and go just to be preserved okay well Jacob surely got it right I mean, surely Jacob learned from the example of his father. Surely Jacob, of all people, would not buy into things like even something simple. If he messed anything up, surely he didn't mess up child favoritism, right? Anybody remember one of his sons? Joseph, who he loved how much? Gave him a special wardrobe to denote him as the favorite son of all of them. Irritated the rest of the brothers so much, they want to murder him. And because one guy speaks up, they go, okay, okay, we won't murder him. So they instead, graciously, sell him into slavery. People, this is the chosen lineage of the Bible that God says, I'm going to use this lineage to bless the entire world. And it's train wreck after train wreck after train wreck. But it's faithful God, faithful God, faithful God, the whole. Way. And it does keep going, by the way. Moses gets raised in Pharaoh's house where he's taught to worship other gods. I mean, Jesus is born to a poor couple who eventually thinks he's crazy at times. I mean, over and over and over, we see these examples of parents that are flawed, but we learn the story of a faithful God who walks through them or walks through it with them over and over and over. There are zero examples of perfect parents because they do not exist even on Instagram and Pinterest. There are no perfect parents. And what, what about this idea, like we just talked about, of people trying to rewrite their past, or maybe not rewrite their past, but redeem their past with current kids? I look, look The heart of that is great, right? It's protective. It's I went through hardship. I went through pain. I went through difficulty. I want to spare my child from that. But, but when that becomes the obsession, when that becomes what you're, like, everything is about this. And listen, by the way, again, not just about motherhood or even just about parenting. Like, we've all seen the dad who's going to relive his old glory days out on the softball field, right? We've all seen that pathetic thing, right? Uncle Rico, who's like, if coach had just put me in, I'd be in the majors today, that guy. And you just want to say, hey, listen, that you is dead and you need to put the uniform away, the letter jacket doesn't fit anymore, like all that. But, but listen, when we live with the sole focus and motivation in our life, like we are going to redeem this situation for our kids, I will not let my kids go through what I did. When that becomes our, our, our all-consuming drive towards parenting, we're parenting out of pain in the past. Well, we would never say this. And our heart wouldn't be to do this, but you literally become a functional savior and redeemer for your family. Like you will protect them. You will change this. You will make sure you will be their guardian in all of these things. You will, you're, but, but our ultimate goal is not to raise children who turn around at the end of their life and look back at us and go, thank you, mom and dad, you have saved me our ultimate goal is to raise children who then turn around look back at us and go thank you mom and dad for pointing me to jesus the one who has saved me jesus has redeemed me god has redeemed me my good father has saved me that's the ultimate goal and and the sad thing is is none of the things that we do guarantee anything anyway i mean haven't you seen Godly families produce kids that follow Jesus and produce some kids who don't. People who focus everything on and and all their exhaustion and all the money and all the time, making sure their kids get to all the games, making sure their kids get the best of everything, trying to protect their family from every possible intrusion to protect everything, and then to see difficulty come anyway, and then be left exhausted and frustrated and hopeless and feeling like, then what was the point what was the point of all of this? And, and here's, the, here's the bad thing. So look, everybody in their 20s and 30s can get into this modality before you have kids where you're like, oh, mom and dad did not know what they were doing. If I, if, when I have kids, I, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna nail it. That's always before you had kids, right? And so you're like, mom and dad did this and, and you're dogging all these things, but here's what you end up unintentionally doing maybe or at least in a way that you're unaware of at the time. You're creating your future standard even before you get there. And now all the stuff that you said should have been done right, that's now your bar and now you're the potential target. And that's scary and exhausting as well, right? And the Instagram, Pinterest stuff that we talked about, I mean, there's, there's real psychological studies going on now about what are the effects of social media on us as people right now constantly chasing that like, constantly trying to portray perfection, ch- constantly trying to make it look like we have everything together and everything figured out. And, and one of the biggest underlying reasons, I was just talking to a lady at our church just this week, we were talking about it. One of the biggest underlying reasons is that there's a fear if people really know what I'm like, will they still love me? Will they actually care if they really knew what I like, And so what we end up doing is we portray online this fake life that looks like everything's put together and we can hide all our flaws. And listen, I get it. I'm as guilty as anybody in this one. Because I, I actually have two Instagram accounts, kind of. So, so I have one that's just fishing stuff. We post photos of fishing. I have a, another one it's like supposed to be like family and church stuff and all that. The problem is when I was in Africa last year, I tried to log into that Instagram account. And because I was actually in Kenya at the time, it thought it was a hacker trying to go in and it locked me out. And to this day, I still can't get into it. If anybody knows how to do that, please let me know. And if you see anything on that account that's sketchy, I haven't seen that stuff since like October. Please let me know. But on the fishing one, there's these companies and they give us like discounts and all these kind of things. We post photos and all this. So here's what will happen. Me and my friends, when we go out fishing, we'll catch a really nice fish and we want to take a photo. We take tons of photos of the same fish. All sorts of angles. Oh, no, hold it up a little higher. Oh, no, turn it that way. Oh, the light. We need to get the light right on. Tons and tons of photos. All these kind of photos to get the the one shot where you end up posting that one picture and you want the one that makes the fish look the best, the one that makes you look the best, the one that makes it look like the best day that you ever had. That's the goal, right? It's advertising. Whether it be personal or not. We are portraying an image of perfection. And it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting exhausting no one can live like it's it's one thing if you're doing that on a fishing trip once a week it's another thing if you're trying to live that way all the time absolutely unsustainable so what are we supposed to do how do we supposed to think specifically about parenting and it is tricky because if we push too hard, we're worried we're going to drive our kids away. And if we go too easy, then we're worried they're going to go all wild. So we got to do something, and where's the line? And, and listen, I'll just be honest. I struggle with this as much as anyone because we're raising pastor's kids, right? And, and where's the line on some of that kind of stuff? Because I, I want to I raise kids that worship Jesus, but I, I don't want them to be so pressured by the bubble of Christianity as a pastor's kid that they then grow up to resent the church as the thing that was always taking away their joy or taking away their dad. And sometimes it's hard to figure out. Even when I was young, or when I was younger, um, my, and my kids were young, I, I realized one day, like I'd be in the hallway as a pastor, at, at, before Heritage exists. I was just an assistant pastor at the time, and I'd be in the hallway, and my kids would see me as church gets out, and they just, they don't see Pastor Jeff, you know what I mean? They don't see that garbage, they just see Dad. And so I'd be like talking to someone, and maybe even having a real serious discussion, and my daughters would run, Daddy, and hug me on the leg, and I would find myself, not meaning to, but, but I'm, I'm doing, I'm at work now, honey, and I'm, I'm almost holding her at bay as I'm trying to talk to the person right here. And, and over time, I started realizing, like, that could be a really unhealthy practice for my kid. My kid needs to be able to see dad at church, not just Pastor Jeff. And that's tricky for a pastor. So, finding those lines. And how do we do that? Man, it is a struggle. It's real. It's something that we really have to wrestle with. And, and anybody you ask has a million, a million opinions. There's 50,000 books, literally over 50,000 books on Amazon about parenting. All of them saying all sorts of different things. So what are we to think? What are we, what is, let's ask it this way. What does the Bible teach us specifically about parenting? Well, there's some bad news. The Bible actually teaches us specifically about parenting surprisingly little. Like, stunningly little, considering it's such an important deal. Like, like there's stuff in there, like, hey, discipline's important. Don't forget to discipline your child or you'll spoil them. But then it comes back around, as we'll see in a little while, with, oh, but don't provoke your kid to wrath. "Uh, Where's the line, Paul? Doesn't say. It's surprisingly, teach them the Bible, but not a whole ton on how. What should family devotions look like? How should we best go about that? What should, the, not a lot of specifics. The Bible doesn't teach us a ton specifically about raising kids. So the goal of this series, let me, just, let me just say right now for today, especially moms, moms give me an amen. Okay, for you, listen, the goal here in all of this is freedom. Burden lifting. So if anything is said that you are tempted to accept burden or guilt or shame or anything like that, that is the enemy talking to you. That is not the heart of what we're doing. And I don't believe that's the heart of our Lord whatsoever. It is to be burden lifting freedom. That's what Jesus calls us to come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So what we want to do is consider, what the scripture actually teach us. Now, like I said, sometimes we can, one of the misconceptions that can happen is when we take a passage of Scripture out of its context, divorce it from its context, and say, here's the truth, not realizing that the context of the particular verse actually informs the meaning and understanding to us. It matters. And so in the book of Ephesians, we have one of the most frequently turned to passages about what a Christian family looks like. Though as we're going to see, it says surprisingly little about a Christian family, but what it does say is really, really important. And so it would be really easy for us to go, then let's just turn to Ephesians 5 and 6 and take a look at how this all plays out. But I want you to understand the context of it. So I want you to go to Ephesians 1. If you're already at 5, you went too far, you didn't listen. Ephesians 1. And I want you to consider the larger context of what the Bible actually teaches us regarding parenting, okay? It's not going to sound like parenting parenting so much at first, but hear it. Hear what Paul writes. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now pause. How many of you as parents work really hard to teach your kids all the rules, to teach your kids how to behave, how to behave in restaurants, how to behave at church, how to behave at school, all these kind of things, because your desire is, I want my kids to be really good. I want them to be really perfect. Can I just take some pressure off of you for a second? And tell you that God's plan for all of humanity, not your plan, God's plan for all of humanity is to present us what? Holy and blameless before him. Your failures cannot usurp God's plan. Amen, church? So we can breathe a little and go, okay. It's important. It's good. We want our kids to be good. We want our kids to be holy. Do we need to be burdened down by that? No, because God's doing that. God's working on that. Even when we mess up, even when we forget to. That's God's intent and plan. Do God's intents and plans ever get thwarted? Um, Real quick, I'm going to feed you the answer. It's no. Do they get thwarted ever? No. So we can rest. God is doing this already. Then he says, continuing in verse 4, In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, is that theoretical or is that true? True. Nice and loud. True. That's real. That's real adoption. That's not, oh, it's kind of like a son. No. God, throughout the, the, the halls of eternity, those who have put their faith in Jesus are sons and daughters of God. So this is what this means to us as parents right now. The ultimate role of raising our children does not rest upon our shoulders. It is God. In in pastoral ministry, they'll teach pastors all the time. Listen, Jesus is the great shepherd. He is the one who shepherds his his church. Pastors are under shepherds. Now our responsibility is to be faithful to how Jesus wants to shepherd his church. Our responsibility is to care for his flock as caring for his sheep, but the ultimate responsibility for the health of a sheep does not not land on our shoulders. Even Paul would say, summer of Apollos, summer of Paul, we water the seeds. It is God who grants the increase, right? The same is true for parenting. We are under shepherds of the children that we have, under the great high King, who He is the one who is ultimately responsible to guarantee the growth of our children. It is not upon your shoulders to make your kids holy and blameless. It is upon God's. Our job is to just be faithful and to point people to their heavenly Father, to point our children to their heavenly Father. Amen. This is, we haven't even got to parenting yet, by the way, but this is real. So He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. Pause. We, we we don't find redemption in doing better now to make up for our past, be it our failures or those against us. Our redemption is found where? In him. You don't redeem your past, your broken family history, your upbringing, whatever that is, through your hard work to make everything perfect yourself. No, no, no. Our redemption, it says, is found in Him. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, verse 8, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and in earth. And in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works how many things? All things to the counsel of his will. All things he's working to the counsel of his will. God is going to work through your failures in your past. God will work through your train wreck upbringing, if that's what it was. He will work through the failures you have. All things work to good for them who love the Lord. He will even use our mistakes to bring his plan to bear. But he's got a plan that he's working. And no matter how big our mistakes might be as parents, there is nothing we can do to thwart the plan of God. And it's a global universe. It's a massive plan. So that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. It's for His glory, not ours. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Look what he says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of this body and the mind, and we were by nature, interesting word to use, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But parents being equipped and faithful in the Word of God, tuned in to focus on the family and Dr. Phil, have saved their children and made them alive together with Christ. Is that what it says? No. I mean, think about it this way. When he talks about it here, he says, you were dead in trespasses. Dead means dead. Dead means incapable of doing anything to improve said person's current situation. It means dead. It means you can't even check a pulse, much less give yourself mouth-to-mouth or heart. You're dead. And God brought life. God brought life. God resurrected. All those things we want to save our kids from, those, those ways of walking in sin, those ways of walking according to the world, all of those things... God is the one who brings life and deliverance from those things, ultimately, not us. It's a work of the Lord that does this. That's why it says in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of us at times are more tempted to parent our children out of fear of the bad things that might happen to them instead of parenting out of faith, promi- trusting in the promises that God wants to do good things for them in the future. Because it's promised. And that's not a proverb. That's a truth. It's promised. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not your work that did this. It is God's merciful gift. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are our parents' workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, so we are his workmanship. And our kids are now our workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. No. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is Christ's workmanship, not ours. Created in Christ for good work, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. And it just keeps going. And then in chapter 5, there's a really important word. First word of chapter 5 of Ephesians. It's the word, please nice and loud, what is it? Therefore, and you know the the cheesy line, right? Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to go backwards a little bit and find out what it's there for. So, what does it mean? Therefore, Paul says, Listen, the God of the universe has chosen you. The God of the universe had put a plan in place to save you and redeem you. He did it himself through his own son. He raised you from the dead. He made you not just forgiven, but not just guaranteeing inheritance, but he adopted you as a son and as a daughter, and he's doing this incredible work through you. This is the gospel, and because you believe the gospel, even more importantly, once you believe the gospel, knowing all of these things about what God has done, therefore, and now he goes into things like What does it look like to be a family when you're a Christian? What does it look like to be a wife when you're a Christian? What does it look like to be a husband when you're a Christian? What does it look like to be a child when you're a Christian? And here's why. He wants the heart behind all of those things that we go on and do to be rooted in the gospel, not rooted in our past, not rooted in our pain, not rooted in the Instagram person we're trying to keep up with, not rooted in anything except the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Empowered by his Holy Spirit, because he's the one that grants growth, growth, and increase. And ultimately, ultimately, parents, and I think we've all hit these points before where we know it to be true. Ultimately, we are kind of powerless in the end. But he's not. And so the gospel needs to be the root of all of these things. The gospel's our heart and motivation moving forward. And so he says, Therefore, be imitators of mom and dad. No. Be imitators of God as beloved children. That's the model that you're following. That's the perfection that you're, that's to be displayed. Not mom and dad being so perfect the kids have never anything to be embarrassed of. I don't care how perfect you are, kids are always going to find reasons to be embarrassed on us, right? I mean, it's just going to happen. But this is it, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to sin. And he goes through all of this stuff. He, he gets next to wives and husbands in verse 22. We don't have time to dissect all that right now, but he talks about what does it look like to be a, a wife in light of the gospel? What does it look like to be a husband in light of the gospel? And can I, can I say right, right here also, notice the order. Like Paul gives us an order of importance really, really clearly right here in the book of Ephesians. He says, it's God first, And that as we seek to follow God in the community of faith, he talks about the church, he talks about unity, spiritual gifts, and, and walking together as the body of Christ, the saved family of Christ. It's God first, then it comes to parents, not kids. And when we get this backwards, bad things can happen. Like in our church, man, we've seen people before that their heart is so strong for their kids, like I get it, I get the drive, but everything revolves only around the children, and the kids may be blessed, but what ends up happening is after 18 years of the world revolving around you, first of all, you can easily create very entitled children sometimes, but, but even say that goes well, 18 years, the kids are gone, and suddenly you're in the house by yourself, because that is the goal, you know what I mean? And then, then you're at home by yourselves, and you don't have kids anymore, and you're like, we don't even know how to relate to each other anymore, and I've seen marriages implode after that, because it was all centered on kids, and the best thing that your kids can have is a mom and dad that loves each other, the best thing, Uh, way over making all the soccer games, or trophies, or any of those kinds of things, having a mom and dad that loves Jesus, and then loves each other will go so much farther with kids, and you'll all be blessed and enjoy, so that's the order, and then it goes into slaves and masters, which is our equivalent of work, What does it look like to be someone at work? You see the order. God, wife, husband, children, workplace, spreading the gospel throughout the world. There's there's an order given. Uh, It doesn't mean one is less important than the other, but it says this is where your energies should rank. This is how you should devote yourself and decide what do I need to do, what comes first, where do my energies go. And then let's look at what he tells us about parents. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Now, here's what I find interesting. He doesn't start with the parents. You notice that? He doesn't go, okay, gospel, this is what God is doing, family of faith, and now husbands and wives love each other, and then you're going to have kids, so here's how you do the kids. He goes straight to the heart of the child. Because ultimately, it will always be the child. Can we have an impact? Of course we can but it will always ultimately be the heart of the child that decides whether that child walks in godliness and righteousness eventually, not the things that you do. And so he's right at the heart of the child first. And then he does get to the parenting, of course he does. What does he give us? All kinds of stuff. Let's read it. Verse four, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that's it. He goes, so, Imitators of Christ walking in grace and in love, teach your children the instruction of the Lord, but don't provoke them to wrath. That's all he gives you except for this. And then he goes into, in verse 10, uh, we don't have time to dissect it all, but you probably have a little subheader. What's verse 10 start talking about? Nice and loud, 1030, come on. The armor of God. Why? Because it's a battle. Right? Right? That should have totally got an amen, right? Wouldn't you think? Like, oh, amen. (laughs) (laughs) This is what he says. He says, listen, when you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and you devote yourself to following Jesus, to, to living out the gospel with your husband and with your wife, dying selflessly for one another in that context, raising children in grace, you're going to get attacked. Because here's one thing I do not want to downplay. Satan absolutely wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your household. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to be the exception of the rule that says, Ha-ha! That family did not produce a godly child. And he will do anything he can to do that. And so the Bible here is saying that as you endeavor to do these things, you're, you're, listen, you're going to need Faith. You're going to need faith because sometimes you're going to go through seasons where it doesn't look like the stuff that you've been doing has been working at all. You're going to need faith in God's promises to, to believe that he loves your child because it doesn't look like they're following him. And you're going to need to be on your knees in prayer. You're going to need the truth. You're going to need to know what this is because the world's going to have all sorts of ideas on what it looks like to parent. And the world is going to be preaching at you all the time, telling you, no, you need to do this, and no, you need to do this, and this is harmful, and that's harmful. And you need the truth. You need something you can bank on. You're going to need grace. You're going to need love. Like He goes through the whole armor of God because parenting children and leading families, as well as just plain old being a Christian, is hard. But he doesn't say... Therefore, knowing the gospel, devoting yourself to God, devoting yourself to one another, and devoting yourself to raising Christian kids, you better work real hard because it's all on you. He says, hey, suit up. I've got some stuff for you. You're going to go in the power of my word. You're going to go in the power of my spirit. You're going to walk in faith, which I'm ultimately the source of. He's going to walk you, he's going to walk with you through all that in the first place. See, here's the interesting thing, and I've said this before, but it's true god raises children different than we do because we raise kids i mean the goal ultimately we hope is they're independent and out right that's the goal get them out that's the goal but 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 god raises children to be more and more and more dependent on him and that's what he's teaching he's saying listen ultimately best thing you can do for a parent is seek Jesus. Listen, I I know we've talked about all the different things that that are challenges and all this, and probably some of you are in here like, are you really going to do like a parenting service, and and we don't get any like practical, what do we do? I'll I'll give you three things that you have permission, I believe even scripturally to do. Uh, The the first one, I I believe you have permission to fail. I don't mean that the Bible says, no, go fail. But I believe you don't have to live under the burden of your failures, and you can even be honest about them. Because your children don't, our children, don't need to see us as perfect. They'll, they'll see through that anyway, and we'll probably come off as hypocrites on the other end, and it'll be damaging to their faith. What they would be better off seeing is that when we fail, what is it that we actually run to for help? Because, you know, there's studies done in, uh, um, well, well, we'll get to that in just a second, so don't just teach the gospel, but model it. Show what it looks like to, to walk in the grace of Jesus in failure. The, the second thing is, is, I give you permission not just to fail, but just to be real. And, and I want you to think about this. We, we just went through the book of Acts, or excuse me, the book of Luke. And over and over and over, especially in the second half of that study, we saw Pharisees who were constantly trying to put on for everybody else how perfect they were. And was that something Jesus honored No. He said, it's ridiculous. You are are whitewashed tombs, all clean and white on the outside and the inside, dead men's bones. You're rotting. Like, listen, the, the scriptures tell us over and over and over, there are none who are perfect. No, not one. So I just, we can be real. We don't have to live under that constant pressure of perfection at work or at home And I would even go so far as to say, for some of us, like the world needs to see our messes on Instagram from time to time. Just so they don't feel like they're the only one. I remember the first time when I had kids and someone, a godly teacher who I respected and was following was teaching, and he said something about like, man, sometimes I just do not want to be around my kids whatsoever. And I was like, it's not just me? Oh, thank God. Now, not so we can commiserate and create this whole like, let's, as Matt Chandler often teaches, it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. But so that we can understand where we are and not feel like we have to fake things. that's what the, We're supposed to be supporting one another and bearing one another's burdens and praying for one another. And we need avenues to do that. I mean, some of the stuff that we all present, myself included, all of us put online and promote. Like, if we were looking at that, it's like, I want to pray for Jeff. And then you scroll through and you look and you go, I don't know, it looks like he's got it all together. I guess I'll pray for somebody else. So we can be real, but but the most important thing that we can do is just seek Jesus for yourself. The most important thing that we can do. It's not about how many soccer games. It's not about uh, what school they go to or homeschool versus non or any of those things that are out there. There's a book called Almost Christian, and it's a research book that was done to study why teenagers were leaving the the church later in life. As they would be raised in the church, and they're growing up in the church, and then as they would get into adulthood, they were leaving the church. And so this sociologist did this study to try to figure out why that is. There were all sorts of reasons that came up. But the number one reason, and I mean by miles, the number one reason young people walked away from the church is because they did not see faith in Jesus as something valued by their parents. But they learned that all sorts of other things are way more important. And so they walked out going, yeah, Jesus is cool. I mean, we can add him to all sorts of things, but I'm busy now. I mean, I'm in college now and classes and finals, and then there's the ball games, and, there's, and then life kicks in, and then you have kids, and you guys know how it all goes, right? The, the, by far the most important thing you can do is seek Jesus for yourself. And, and burdened moms, that is a blessing, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is a blessing. That is not pressure. That is a blessing for your child to see you resting in Jesus is the most important thing you can do, because it's ultimately not up to you. Uh, I, I saw this article. Jeremy shared it to me this, with me this week, and as we were talking about this particular teaching, and um, there's this article where he's telling the story of Saint Augustine, one of the early church fathers. And I don't, I don't know if you know much about his background. We know a lot of his quotes and things. His background's gnarly. Like he was pursuing cults and and seeking every sexual pleasure that could be out there. He was an actual sex addict, as he would put it. And and all, all he was just sort of a mess. And he had this mother. Her name was Monica. And, and his mother Monica actually went to the priest at one point, And she went to him and she begged him, please go talk to my son. Teach him what is right. Teach him what is good, because I don't know what to do, and he's a mess, and this is what's going on. And the priest said no. What What kind of priest was that? The priest said no. And as Saint Augustine tells it much, much later, the priest told her the best thing that you can do is go get on your knees and just be in prayer for your son. And Augustine said it this way. He said, my mom wanted the priest to teach the bad out of me. But the problem was, is I wasn't yet teachable. See, what he means by that is that the problem's not on the teaching end. The problem's in the heart of the hearer. And you can do everything perfect, but until their heart has been softened, until they're ready to hear the voice of the Lord speaking into it, we are exhausting ourselves for no reason. And the best thing we can do is be on our knees. Guys, I'm a product. My mom, she could tell you stories when I was in college of her on her knees, begging God, what happened to him? I raised him right. Please save him. And there's many of you in this room that are exactly the same. Either testimonies of it as recipients of said prayers or those who have prayed and seen the Lord work. But the ultimate responsibility for the welfare of our children is on God's shoulders. And He can do it. He loves your kids more than you do. And I just want to encourage you, and I'll just speak to moms right now especially. Listen, I've never met a mom in my life that goes, yeah, I I, I think I did pretty well. I think I got it. I've met countless moms that jump first to regrets instead of successes when they're reflecting on their experience in raising their children. My mom's one of them. She, she still to this day carries deep regrets about things that I'm just like, "Mom, just we're okay, just stop." But the reason is is because most of us really live day to day in sort of a courtroom of our mind that's always in session. And Satan is more than happy to come in all the time and point out all the reasons that we're failures over and over and over and over. You didn't do this right. You're not doing enough of this. He will either bury you in guilt or make you so busy that you're exhausted and useless to anything else. But he is constantly in there pointing his accusing finger. He is known in the Bible as the accuser. But we have a defender. His name is Jesus Christ. And listen, in Jesus there exists a Sabbath rest even for moms. There is rest in Jesus. He died to set you free of your sins and he died to set you free of the relentless pursuit of perfection. He died to draw you in To have relationship with him that you might rest and watch how his spirit works if we'll give him the room to do so. Make no mistake, Satan wants to destroy our family, but we are powerless to defeat him, except for God. As Ephesians says, but God. Amen, church? So will you stand and let's pray. We're going to pray for all of us, but specifically for the mothers that are here. Father, I thank you so much that the truth is is that you are our Father and we have a good Father who knows our needs before we even say them. As parents, especially maybe as mothers, we can stress and worry about food, clothing, our homes, where we will live, where we will sleep, all of these things. But Lord, you even tell us in your Scripture and we're not to focus on those things. Lord, we're to focus on you, to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And all of these things will be, will be added to us that, that you, our Father in heaven, already knows what we have need of. And so I pray, God, that this morning you might alleviate burdens in this room, redirect our focus on you as it rightly should be. I pray, God, for moms in this room that might carry guilt from mistakes past. May they know that by putting faith in you, you have paid the price for those failures and that you even promised that you will use those things for good. So may you alleviate those burdens and replace it with joy. For those, Lord, who are here and they have anxiety or, or fear or, or obsession about how to raise children now or in the future, Father, may you replace all those things with peace and give us strength, Lord, to be able to parent our children out of assurance in your hopeful promises, not out of fear of what the enemy may do. I pray, God, that for those that are here that maybe don't have children, for whatever reason that might be, I pray that they would know more than ever the reality of your word, that you are a father to the fatherless. That, God, you care for us, that your plans for us, your goals, we just read in Ephesians, is to do things that are so immeasurably good we can't believe it. So may we have faith in that rather than listening to the enemy that wants us to dwell on what we don't have, thinking that somehow you are holding out on us. And I pray, God, that the good news of the gospel will be the motivation behind everything that we do. God, we want to be better parents. We want to be better sons and daughters. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us to do that. But I pray we would be able to do so out of joy and out of the rest and peace that you grant us, depending on your spirit the entire way, as we keep our eyes on you, Jesus. May you bless the families represented here. We do thank you for moms. They're amazing, Lord. We wouldn't be here without us, not a single one of them without them. And I pray, Lord, that that you would encourage them today. And I pray even, Lord, for those of us that are children. Lord, may may we have, if we have bad parents in our background, may you grant us forgiveness. May you free us from sinful judging. May we have empathy. And I pray, God, just that your grace would bathe everything and that you would grant us ever-increasing gratitude for the gift of mothers that you have given us all in Jesus name and all God's people said amen Amen. happy Mother's Day moms can we give it up again one more time for moms (laughs) amen I love you guys have a great great week tell somebody about Jesus this week God bless you